What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by three awesome Bitcoin companies. The first is Shift Crypto, makers of the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet. If you're just getting started with Bitcoin, I highly recommend you take custody of your coins. And this is a very easy to set up and easy to use option. If you're a bit more experienced or if you're looking for another wallet to round out your multi-sig mix, I highly recommend you check it out. It's got a lot of great features and it integrates with some of the best multi-sig wallets and nodes out there. So if you'd like to learn more, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapid fire. Get yourself 5% off. And from December 14th to the 26th, with each order, you get the little Bitcoin book and a personalized Christmas card for free. So they're trying to help you take care of some of your gift giving this holiday season. Next up is the Bitcoin 2022 conference. The 2021 conference was incredible. It's going to be even bigger this year. They're going from 13,000 people to 35,000 people capacity right on Miami Beach. And the best thing about it, even though there's a ton of great speakers and all that jazz and events and whatever, the best thing is you get to meet other Bitcoiners, hang out, talk, build relationships. It's the best thing ever. Ticket prices do creep up as we get closer to the event. So there is an incentive to lock them down early. And if you'd like to do that at checkout, use the code RAPIDFIRE and get yourself 10% off. And finally, Bull Bitcoin. If you're looking to buy Bitcoin in Canada, this is the place to do it. Bull Bitcoin is a non-custodial exchange, which means when you buy the Bitcoin, they don't hold on to it. They send it right to you, which in my opinion is the best way to buy Bitcoin. So you're not leaving your coins on exchange and leaving them open to theft or loss or anything other than your own cold storage. In mid-December, they're going to be rolling out BitcoinSupport.com. So if you or anyone you know, friends, family are looking for a little bit more hand-holding in setting up your Bitcoin custody solution, making sure everything is done properly, that's what BitcoinSupport.com is for. So if a little self-custody support interests you, be sure to check out BitcoinSupport.com come mid-December. That's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. Hey, man. Nice to find. Nice to uh, see you again. We met briefly in El Salvador a couple weeks ago. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. So, uh, how was your trip? I got a lot of thoughts about uh, El Salvador after uh, that trip. I know a lot of Bitcoiners were pretty impressed. What was your impression? Wow, it's um, it was not what I expected. It was much more much more Bitcoin, <laughs> it was Bitcoin everywhere. You, um, so, you know, El Salvador was the, the murder capital of the world, right? And, and I, was, I was very afraid. So in the flight from Mexico to El Salvador, I, I was talking to a local lady and she was telling me that Never ever should I walk alone. Um, I should not. <laughs> I should not take any taxi. Only a specific taxi company, but even that is not a guarantee of safety. And Bitcoin is all a scam of the dictator of Bukele. So, so that's that's how I I started. Then I I get off the plane. And there were some, there were some policemen, and I, in front of me was stopped by them. Uh, I was like, okay, bureaucrats doing their usual thing, bureaucratic 
giving people trouble for no reason. But anyhow, so I I was walking at the airport and, and there were between advertisements, you know, Bitrefill advertisement, the Chivo ATM. Uh, so, so there was Bitcoin already at the airport. And of course, people, Bitcoin masks and Bitcoin merchandise all over them. Uh, but anyhow, that guy who was stopped by the police uh, just found me. Well, first of all, he recognized me, so that was crazy. The second is that he he told me the story that he got stopped by the, the, the police because he didn't have a, a COVID test and he didn't have a vaccine and, 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 and so he cannot come in. But then they asked, where, what, what's, what's the reason for his visit? And he said, oh, the Bitcoin conference. And the police instantly changed their tone. They become very friendly and asked about Bitcoin, Bitcoin. <laughs> and, and what he had to do to prove that he's a Bitcoiner, he had to show his Twitter. Um, <laughs> Proof of shit posting, you know, <laughs> and they let him go. So he asked me, "Is this heaven?" So, yeah, that's how I got off the plane. <laughs> I, I heard, I heard those stories. I showed up about a week earlier because we were shooting a documentary there, and uh, so I didn't see any like the special treatment. But I heard those stories, and then when we got there, I mean, this is probably your experience too, but everything was really great. You know, I mean, first of all, safety didn't feel like a concern at all. I mean, we didn't go too far away from either the hotel or El Zante. Like we went out for dinner a couple of times, but it seemed like a, you know, nice place with some nice uh, restaurants and the people in El Salvador seem incredibly friendly, like more so than many other countries in the region that I've been to. And, and it seemed obvious that the government was rolling out the red carpet for the Bitcoiners. But how amazing is that, right? Like we've lived our whole life being kind of like the outcasts, right? Like being the ones that nobody likes and nobody cares about. And now you find yourself in a place where, you know, like you're the special people and people want to make you happy. I mean, it was a real trip, man. Like I, it was weird to, to, to leave and go back to where I'm, I'm currently at because, you know, you're just normal again versus like, I don't know, like a, it, it was cool to be like have Bitcoin everywhere, right? On a Bitcoin standard, being able to spend Bitcoin, having people, uh, you know, be interested in Bitcoiners. It was super cool. Yeah, you know, um, so I, I watched some of the videos that you did. And so you lived in, in China for, uh, for, for, uh, for a longer period of time. Yeah, almost yeah, 10 years. So so can you compare it to that so that you know when when you go to asian countries then everyone is is very friendly uh and it, it's just kind of the same or don't you i mean the i went to japan when i was 18 in 2005 i think it was and there was a funny comic book at the time and it was like half of it was um like a foreigner through the the eyes of like the local Japanese population. He was all jacked and suave and smooth and that kind of stuff. And then it was the same comic through like the, the eyes of other foreigners. And it was just a scrawny, skinny little loser guy, you know? So like, I, I think your point is like in, in certain parts of Asia, and I think it's changing a bit now, but there's always been a bit of a luster around foreigners, right? Like the people have been interested in learning about 
where you come from and the customs of your uh, of your home country and all that kind of stuff. Primarily, you know, largely because those places have been closed off for so long. But um, I, I mean, I felt I didn't I don't think it was super comparable because in El Salvador, I don't know, like, I think the people are just naturally friendly. I didn't, like, I think they were friendly to you, whether or not they knew you had anything to do with Bitcoin or not. But it, I don't know, it's hard to explain, man, like being in a country where the Bitcoin standard is actually real, like, I just, it's not a big deal to go and just pay with Bitcoin. I mean, and I, I, I previously hated spending Bitcoin as most people do, but there's something nice about it. You know, like as long as you replace right afterwards or whatever your your uh, protocol is, but it's it's different than paying with fiat. Like I feel like it's a far more respectful uh, like transaction that occurs. I know I know you um, you've done a lot of work with Max Hillebrand, and you know he he talks about that a lot, right? And I think it's part of the reason why he he adds a premium if you want to pay in fiat or something, right? Because you're forcing them forcing him to accept those like slave dollars or war war bucks or whatever he calls them so i don't know I, th I thought it was pretty cool did you spend like did you spend a bitcoin while you were there yes yes you know just the logistic changes completely i mean i was traveling for maybe seven years in my past from country to country so i had like okay so this is how i'm i'm handling the cash right whenever i get to a country i get cash and i did the same but then I was running out of cash, right? Happened to me many, many times before. And I didn't felt like, oh shit, where do I find an ATM? I don't know, it's, it's just, it's whatever, I have Bitcoin, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I felt the same. I mean, I, like I said, I, I came back to where I'm at now and in the taxi ride back to my place, I was just looking around and I could, I was overwhelmed by a feeling of like, this place feels so much more dumb because it doesn't use Bitcoin, you know? And so a lot of the places that I go to here, they don't use uh, like credit cards for tax and, and fee purposes, right? So that it's a, like a largely a cash economy. And so if I want to get cash, I have to draw it from an ATM. I get ding five bucks on the, the ATM here. I get ding 750 uh, for an ATM fee on my bank in Canada. And then, you know, you're getting a horrible FX rate, right? So like there's, that's all those massive uh, costs just to get, be able to transact. Whereas, like you said, with Bitcoin, you never, you never have to worry about that. Like it's all right there and it's super slick and in two seconds you're done. And then of course the big announcement at the end of it, like I know there's, there's still a lot of hesitancy around uh, the president and, you know, true motivations and that kind of stuff. But it's pretty compelling what's going on there. I, I think a lot of Bitcoiners are maybe thinking if they get a few more assurances about certain things that maybe they'll look to relocate there. What are your, what's your impressions on that front? Mm. So I, I feel like he's learning, right? I mean, recently just tweeted about freedom and the vaccination stuff which which is which is why would he do that other than he's learning from bitcoiners that you know uh here are the vaccines and companies can make sure that you're vaccinated if if you work there or can have companies those are not requiring vaccinated and compete against the companies those are requiring vaccinated right like 
just just uh, just just this got to his mind is I think uh, progress there, and you know, so well, waving waving the test too while we were all there. That I mean that seemed like a, a an overture or a, or a message to the Bitcoiners too, right? I mean it's, it's a bit too much of a coincidence. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, so why is why is he called a dictator? Uh, do you do you know? No, I, I mean, you know, my my stance is this: how I, I trust nothing in the mainstream media news world, right? But and and that means that oft, oftentimes there's not much other information. But I just have such a distrust that, like, when when the stories came out about. Um, something that happened in the assembly, right? Like brought in the military to do something. And this was like a big, you know, big news thing all over the world. And then I heard the other side of the story and, and like, so I don't know which one is true. Right. But I mean, I, I, I all I can do is, is base my uh, opinion on the actions that I see being taken and maybe some, I don't agree with, but that's the case for hundred percent of 99% of politicians. Right. But the, the, the other 99% of politicians aren't making Bitcoin legal tender, aren't uh, be, you know, seemingly being welcoming to Bitcoiners, aren't like having a kick-ass Twitter troll game. You know, like it, it's just, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of things that make you think he's kind of on, on this team. Now, I might be wrong, right? And I, and, I, and I, like, I'm more cautiously optimistic, you know, because the political game is always about kind of manipulation and you know this kind of stuff but it looks pretty good thus far i mean what do you think what do you make of it all so i know of two things and i did not research this uh did not research all the things but there are two things that i know of why he could be called a dictator one is what you just said is that he brought in the military to the parliament right uh, to make sure people are voting in the right way. And the other thing is the joke that he he had in his Twitter bio that he's the coolest dictator in, his, in the world, right? <laughs> so, so that can be disregarded. <laughs> but the first one is, uh, is is interesting because... Mm, I, is know, that what happened, though? It, it, was it really like he brought them in to make sure people voted a certain way? Or was it that the vote happened and the members wouldn't leave. And so the military had to come in to, uh, to like make sure that they left in accord with the vote that took place. See, this is a problem. Like neither of us uh, fucking uh, know, right? Yeah, it's possible. I, I, I don't know either. Uh, that's, that, that's very good. I didn't hear heard that theory yet. Maybe I'm watching too much mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... Uh, You know, when I was in, you know what I, I got in a taxi. Let, let me pick up on the story. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I, I got in the taxi and of course I got in a random taxi at the airport. So I did not really, I, I wanted to take the advice of the lady, but I, I didn't. They were pushy and I was like, whatever. Anyway, so I got in the taxi and talking to the taxi driver and he was telling me that Oh, since Bukele, everything is very safe and pointing to look at those cameras there, right? Surveillance cameras. 
it's it's very safe. They they everywhere now, and you know this kind of gave me an internal like sparked uh, sparked uh, existential crisis in me that you know it's like these are surveillance systems. This overreach of the state is not okay. But on the other hand, it really made me feel much more safe. <laughs> <laughs> So it's not only he who is learning from us. I, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out yet in myself. Do we have an opinion on this? Seemingly paradoxical. Man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's something that's uh, useful during a transition. Because I think, first of all, I think a lot of the violence in El Salvador is obviously gang related, right? So I, I don't know how historically dangerous it's been for tourists. My impression is it's not been that dangerous for tourists, but that's just my impression. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason why all of this stuff even exists and is perpetuated in the world and can be, can be used as a scapegoat for control is because there's an element of rationality to it, right? Like why else would the entire world accept this global panopticon if not for the reason that at least partially it conveyed some degree of safety or security or comfort around it? Because if it was exclusively a, a, a system of control, then presumably it would be a much harder sell for people, right? But because it's like, well, hey, you know, these cameras are here to make sure the bad guys don't come get you. And you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. And it's like, well, they're also there so we can come get you if we need to. It's like, oh, well, I don't like that part of it, you know? So like so many things, it's a double-edged sword. And um, I guess it's incumbent upon us to try to maneuver that landscape as well as possible and preserving as much privacy as we can. But the, the thing is, is like, and I mean, this feeds into the work that, that you've been doing, obviously, but like your physical privacy when you're in public is, is, is gone anyways. I mean, your face and your everything is everywhere because there's a bajillion cameras. And even if they're just at Walmart or something like, I mean, if you're online right now and this is being broadcast to the world, like people know your face and that's all that once they get it once, that's all they really need to get. Now, like your location and stuff and knowing precisely where you are at any given time, maybe that's a bit different, but I think a lot of that is like pretty much out the window anyways. And so what we can hope to preserve is, well, our, how we transact financially, which again is like the focus of, of what you've been, one of the focus of you've been working on. Um, well, that's a huge one, right? Because if we don't have it in the physical world, then at least hopefully we have it in the financial and transactional world. But, um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question, man. And there was like, there was not much privacy happening at the event either, right? Like I know I, I noticed a few people tried to to um, manage their opsec, and they did have different color bands for pictures and stuff. But I mean, everyone's intermingling, and there's photos no and video cameras everywhere. Was that? No one bothered to wear a mask. Not many. I I saw some, but not many. But was I don't even know. Was there even a policy? like is it a know. was it a private policy I, I i have no idea it seemed like everyone was wearing a mask except bitcoiners everywhere yeah there was a lot of masking in the general population i did notice that did you have a chance to go to el zante after the conference 
Yeah, I went to Azanta. That were was... you for, were you there for the volcano uh, announcement or the Bitcoin yep. City announcement? What was that like? I, I left the day before, so I wasn't able to attend. Um, what did you What did you hear actually uh, when you were like, like, like? How, how were you invited to to attend to that? I first heard there was a private party with the president, and it was like hush hush, don't tell anybody. And then I saw the president tweeting out like details of this bit by bit or whatever it was called party. And I was like, oh, well, it doesn't seem like it's super private. And then uh, we had dinner with a bunch of Bitcoiners one night and it came up and everyone was just like, oh, yeah, we all got invited to that. And so um, and then again, I, I wasn't able to attend because I left the day before. But my, the crew I was with got like paper invitations nice kind of you're cordially invited to blah 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 sort of thing yeah i was gonna i was gonna leave the day before by the way but i got an email that wink wink don't tell anyone confidential <laughs> private dinner with the president with the remaining speakers there and they, well and you're like oh okay i'll have dinner with the president you know nice you know intimate dinner <laughs> <laughs> exactly but there was no dinner and people were very hungry <laughs> yeah. but so you went to the the big announcement right and everyone was there and there was music and drinks it was right by the the ocean i mean what yes. what did you think of the whole affair so it was crazy really crazy uh, but first of all just just a lot of people were there and i I think there were a lot of non-Bitcoiner people there too, but it was really a lot. Okay, so Bitcoiners were not wearing masks, right? And it was an open space, but imagine that it was hard to go through the people to get from one point to another. That's how packed everything was, right? So anyway, uh, free drinks everywhere. Everyone got drunk, and then, and then, the the president appeared from a spaceship, animated from a spaceship down to Earth, while um, fireworks in the background, and uh, and then announced Bitcoin City and some somehow announced Bitcoin bonds. The reception was not, not as, I think it was not as, uh, so, so it wasn't like, um, <clears throat> even, even when, I, when I saw, uh, I saw there was some trailer of it and then president said something and there was, but, the who was in a different place, not when the president <laughs> said something. <laughs> so they cut it together. So, um, but you know, like it's a huge gamble. This is what countries do, I guess, gamble. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it's gonna work because Bitcoin is going to be the future of money and he is positioning that whole country to be be aware of Bitcoin early on <clears throat> compared to other countries. Uh, it's probably gonna be gonna be one of the largest country in the world, richest countries in the world. Yeah, richest. Yeah. You know, it 
I mean, you do anything on a, on a certain scale and you're going to attract criticism, right? But I, I appreciate that, like, it, he could have just been another president that was like, okay, I get it, right? Bitcoin is most likely going to be the, the world's dominant currency at some point. So, okay, we'll make it legal tender and just let the market do what it does. And maybe that'll end up being preferable, but I, I got to appreciate that not only has he made the move, but he's doing it in such a like a bold and fun kind of way. Like I said before, like it's not like he's a boring president that just saw the light on it. Like he's out there trolling the IMF, trolling the US dollar, trolling the ECB, establishing a Bitcoin city. I mean, he's going all in hard, you know? And you got, I mean, it just almost seems right. It seems like that's, of course, that's the way it was going to happen. Not in hindsight, it, it seems that way. I, I wouldn't have expected it, but I don't know. It just, it, it feels, it feels right in, in some weird way. Hopefully. And, and you know what? I got to think, you know, this, this volcano bond, like I'm not personally interested, you know, because I just want Bitcoin, real Bitcoin, but, uh, you got to think that the global bond market who have certain stipulations and regulations and can only invest in this, that, and the other thing, when there's a bond that's backed by Bitcoin, that's yielding six and a half percent. Like you got to think that a 300 or 200 or whatever it is, trillion dollar market is going to be pretty damn interested in that. And they're, they're only making they're you know, the first issue is a billion dollars. I mean, they could, they could see tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars flow into the country just off that alone. I mean, things could get weird, you know? I mean, it's another question if a government should be doing these kind of things, right? But on the other hand, we can observe what's happening and what he keeps doing. And, and, and you know, our predictions show that he's actually going to win on this, even though it doesn't happen in a way how we or how I would personally prefer this, which is completely voluntarily, right? Yeah. Yeah. But this is a sovereign individual thesis playing out, right? So this is one way of doing it. And maybe in a year or two, another country pops off and they do it a different way. They're, maybe they're more hands-off. They say, yep, totally legal tender, but that's all, that's all we're doing and let the market figure out the rest of it. But in a world where most governments are being crazy authoritarian right now and just being completely insane on every single domain, human right, like individual freedoms, rights, economic policy, everything. You know, I'm, I'm pretty enthusiastic about one little country just saying, you know what, we're going to do completely the opposite. You know, maybe they're not perfect, but we're coming out of like such a fucked up world that uh, it's, I'm not expecting perfection on the first, the first one that diverges from the, the pack, I guess is what I'm saying. And, you know, we need to have a place to retreat to because it might come the time when they are really going to be against coiners. And, well, now we have a, have a stronghold in the real world and that's very important, right? A Salvador cannot fall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you, do you think that's going to play out? The Bitcoiners will be... Uh scapegoated for all the shit that's coming down the pike? I don't know. It's a good question. I, I used to think that uh, 
I used to think that, you know, this is obviously a huge revolution that goes obsoletes all the largest powers of the world, right? They are not gonna let it happen, but they are letting it, right? It, <laughs> five years passed and they didn't do anything, right? Like, just let us go and change the world. And, and that's, that's okay. So it's a good question. I, I used to be much more sure that something drastic is going, drastic is going to happen. Now I'm, I'm not sure anymore. What do you think? I, I'm pretty much with you. Like I, I try not to be lulled into a false sense of, of confidence around everything, you know, uh, because when I really sit down and think about it, it's still difficult for me to see how a transition occurs without quite a bit of uh, friction and possibly conflict. I mean, look at the world we have right now. I mean, a lot of people might just look and say, oh yeah, it's just, you know, crazy, stupid, uh, power hungry bureaucrats taking advantage of a health crisis, quote unquote. But I see it far more being a health crisis being, or, you know, a, a, a health issue being leveraged as a result of the failure of the money. So if we were in a pr prior era, let's say, if it was 50 years ago and all everything else being equal, but the money was less broken, I think we would see a less uh, onerous and, uh, response. But because... Why? Well, because, because the, the coordinating function of the money, let's, you know, I, I often look at it this way. Let's say the money is the primary coordinating mechanism for uh, human economic interaction. And that's the primary glue of society. Okay. If, that goes, if that goes down in utility because it's being abused in various ways, then the second mechanism for human coordination, i.e. government and law, has to ascend. And so if this one is going down, then I feel like the, the vacuum is filled by the, the, the power of government to coordinate things, even though we know that it coordinates them extremely badly and actually adds to the, the stress on the system rather than detracts. But in this, you know, because so few people appreciate that, I think what you get is as this one goes down, this one goes up. And so, uh, as the money keeps failing, and I don't see any way that it stops failing, I feel like the the authoritarian the vacuum will be will be filled by the secondary coordinating mechanism, which is basically power, control, and government. And you know that usually doesn't work out so well for people. <laughs> so, so for example, if this is the Bitcoin fixes dismay, right? Uh, anyway, so. It's funny because it always makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but let's assume we have a much smaller and weaker government, then they, let's say, they, they might not even be able to control the media. And if they cannot control the media, then they, then, then they might not be able to like, because they are convincing us to stay at home, right? Basically. Uh, there is the threat too, but it's more like they are convincing. If they don't convince us, won't like Bill Gates convince us and, and, and the threat will still be there. I mean, 
they would have a much worse position. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. If if what if they if they if, didn't if Bitcoin. Oh yeah. Bitcoin would weaken them. Yeah, for sure. And it's a. This is why the Bitcoin fixes this meme emerges, right? Because when you change that the the nexus of power and everything that coalesces around it, then all that stuff kind of dissolves away. Like if 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 the government couldn't fund their operations by uh, reappropriating the wealth of the population via the money printer, then they couldn't hand out the checks to keep people docile and keep people from rising up. There would be less incentive for the big corporations to co-op the government to make sure the policies align with their incentives because that they, the government's less capable of executing on policies that would be favorable to the big corporations. So it all just dissolves away once that institution no longer has infinite wealth redistribution capabilities, basically. And that's exactly what Bitcoin provides. So, and that, which is why, like, if you are an authoritarian, like if you are a quote unquote dictator, it's a pretty stupid move to, uh, you know, put your economy, to make a big bet on your economy on Bitcoin. Like maybe, sure, maybe there's some personal gain to be derived from that, right? All sorts of funny business can go on behind the scenes. But the punchline is, is the institution of government over enough time has probably has less power. Uh, how about El Salvador? Because they don't. They were on the U.S. dollar, right? They are on yeah. the U.S. dollar. So well, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> maybe it, it it probably opens up the door for more fuckery. To be honest, in the short term, perhaps. Um, and like with all these bonds and stuff, if the government sells a bunch of Bitcoin bonds, then, you know, they could have a bunch of money. But I, I think the, 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 the long term punchline is just that governments can be rich, right, for a variety of reasons. But if they're not capable of siphoning off the wealth of every individual, then you've got to think that that's at least a strong restraint on their ability to impose and control uh, and dominate those same individuals. Because if, if people at least have are able to preserve the value of their own capital, well, then they can coordinate solutions together with that capital that might be able to serve as a check or balance on the capital and, and power of the government. But if the government can just press a button and siphon off $5 trillion from the population, then what, what can they do, you know? And so it's not only that governments get weaker, but people get more yeah. wealthy because of deflation because of the technology is improving and even though El Salvador government is well you know it's funny it's waking up but it's doing a hell of a good job right now <laughs> even if how weak it is <laughs> but I don't know if there is a there is a connection cause a connection between that that well they are weak well if they would have their own money they would never have done this right so probably yeah i mean which is why maybe other dollarized countries are the first are going to be the first ones to do a bitcoin standard because they're not giving up the power of the money printer right but you know the to your point it's not only that i guess it is that people become richer but they become less dependent right like if if i'm just dripping your bank account dry and then i come knock on your door the next day and say hey here's a two thousand dollar check stay in your fucking home and do what we tell you to and we'll keep giving you the check then people are going to say yes especially when 
their electricity and their water and their like every aspect of their lives, their, their health is dependent on the apparatus and the institution of government. But if people are able to preserve the value of their savings, if they actually are able to grow a larger and larger foundation of security over time through work and saving in a money that's not able to be stolen from them, well, then they can slowly but surely uh, remove those dependencies or transform those dependencies into independencies, right? Where they, they are now more in control of their access to resources, energy, water, food, they're managing their health, they're more capable of, of, of building a stronger family. And, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously, I think that is one of the objectives of government is to get people more dependent on them so that they can more easily, you know, we, we might say control those people, they might say, well, effectuate our policies more, you know, whatever. Uh, and the individuals, uh, their incentive is to, is to diminish that dependency so that you can live a more free life, you know, and, and take responsibility for these things for yourself. So, and Bitcoin allows you to do that. So even if the government has a shitload of money, you got to think it's encouraging that each individual uh, is able to maybe slowly but surely increase their own, you know, financial security. And that means that they're less susceptible to what the government might want to do. You know, the, the, monot the thing that, that I think about a lot is like, I think all this is going to play out more or less as we often talk about, but what happens to the monopoly on violence that exists today? Like I can see in a future where the, the incentive to, um, to take advantage of the monopoly on violence is less, you can't steal people's wealth as easily, all that kind of stuff. But what happens to the current monopoly on violence and nuclear weapons and all that kind of stuff? I mean, how does, how do we, what do we do with that? So, I mean, I, I have a theory that would provide an answer to this question of what happens to the monopoly of violence is that it's not my theory, it's David Friedman's. Uh, you know, there are two kinds of words. There is the real world or the, the offline world and the online world. And the trend is that the online world becomes more and more relevant as more and more time is spent there and the offline world becomes less and less relevant. And since in the online world, violence is not possible and you don't really care about the off You know, it, it sounds strange, but you won't care about the offline world, right? Like we are going, going there. We are going to live online. Maybe not we, but our children are going to live online and most of their time are spent there. So why, why rob anything from anyone? Because all the value is on, in the online world because that's the only relevant one anymore. Then may, maybe that's... that's uh, I mean, I, too, I, too I, I, <laughs> I agree directionally, right? We are spending more time in digital worlds and that doesn't seem likely to change as those worlds become more fantastical and more opportunity and more potential and more experience. But I guess it doesn't remove the utility of, of power from the physical world, right? I mean, someone is still going to want to exert control and power in the physical world, even if doing so is 
let's say less financially rewarding. I mean, I don't, I'm not asking you to have an answer to this, obviously, but it's just, it's one of those things I think about, like, I think Bitcoin is going to, you know, give people a lot more individual sovereignty. It's going to, it's going to restrict governments from their ability to fund themselves through the theft of individual savings. But there's a hell of a lot of weapons in the world. And, and, you know, there's a hell of a lot of nuclear weapons in the world. And I guess my biggest concern is in to whatever degree this transition is destabilizing, what happens to the stockpiles of nuclear weapons when people really get, you know, when things get really get hairy? I'm hoping for the best, obviously, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a somewhat unsettling question, I guess. What's your, what's your fear level on, on nuclear? Is it like, like, um, let's say David Friedman is saying that it, we don't use it. It doesn't really matter and humanity would survive or, or, or the other end would be, would be Jordan Peterson where like, we were way too close to actually push that button two times in the past. So like, like it's just the pure chance that we are not actually using it. What's, what's your fear level there? <laughs> well, my, how should I, I frame this? I'm kind of like an eternal optimist, right? And I accept all outcomes. So, you know, if the world, is completely destroyed in a nuclear war in 10 years time. Like, what are you going to do, but just accept that outcome? What, what's the point? And I don't know, but the, the, the last two years, I mean, I, I've, I've been uh, highly critical of clown world since I was like 15 years old. You know, I've always been, you know, that person that was telling my friends that everything is crazy and they thought I was crazy for doing it. But the, the last, I look at the world today and I look at the, emotional stability, the emotional intelligence, the uh, degree of ideological possession, all that kind of stuff of your average citizen and your average politician today in 2021. And then I look uh, at- How do you the, measure them? Well, you, know, you look just- Just subjective, of course, right? Just my impression. <laughs> uh, uh, and then I look at the counterpart in the 1940s, right? And we're dealing with a lot more information today, but also a lot more distraction and blah, blah, blah. But like, I guess the punchline is this, people seem a lot fucking crazier to me today than they did back then. You know, like your average person back then just seemed more stable, I guess, for lack of a better term than today. You know, like, it's, and the last two years have been an extreme expression of this, where we see so much hysteria and so much, uh, I don't know, like, I, I almost want to call it like pathological, psychological behavior. Like, I, I mean, a lot of people, I don't believe that I don't think they really own their own minds. I think they their their minds are completely their perspective is completely borrowed from the mainstream media, big government, big business machine. That's like, I don't know what percent of people, but probably majority their perspective is completely constructed by those institutions. And that concerns me because even if you're an individual who does their best to construct their own perspective, be aware of their own conditioning, see the world as clearly as possible, it's challenging because the world is a 
large, dynamic, complex place and figuring out, first of all, everything it takes internally to, to see with clarity and to be comfortable and know yourself, right? To know yourself and then to know the world is like, is the whole game, right? This is like, this is one of the primary objectives of life. And I think a lot of people have relinquished that responsibility and have just adopted an ideology that's not their own. And it, I mean, to, 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 to my mind, it's that, that circumstance has manifested more pathological behavior in our day and age than my albeit limited uh, uh, observation of the time when nuclear weapons were last used. Do you know what I'm saying there? No, that's that's a lot of lot of thoughts. Uh, thanks, thanks for sharing it with me. Um, I mean, so let's 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 say uh, there were concentration camps in '45, right, uh, for the Jews, and now there are very similar things, maybe the same things. I don't know in Xinjiang, China. Um, and we couldn't do shit about that back then, and we can do shit about that now. But but we we accept the exact. I I'm not sure how much is the same, but pretty close. And we kind of accept that, that that's how the world works, and they they accepted it, right? Um, I'm not sure I was going anywhere with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I think also there's because of the size of government, right? Because fiat has been able to bloat the size of government for so long, perhaps there's a subconscious apathy around what to even do about it. So people, it's almost like there's not even there's not even a, a point. Maybe your subconscious mind understands that there's not even a point in trying to uh, determine these things because government is too big to do anything about as an institution anyways. Yes, you know, red, blue, right, left, whatever it is, but the institution of it is, is such a monolith that why waste the cognitive energy in trying to determine whether or not you can restrain it in any way because your mind maybe knows that you can't. And maybe that's why today, you know, amongst other reasons, there, it's almost like war seems more abhorrent. Like maybe we're, this is the wrong term, but maybe we're like weaker today. Like we're less able to stomach the idea of war, but all that ends up doing is, is it pushes it in further into the hands of those who benefit from it or control the apparatus of it. Something, something like that. I'm just, this is total spitballing here, but uh, you know, I still, I, the, the punchline, I guess, is like, do I think we're any less sophisticated, any more sophisticated in 2021 as we were in 1945 or as a, as a, a world? And I wish I could say yes, but I'm kind of thinking no. Uh, okay, so another thing, maybe I'm not going anywhere with this either, but <laughs> when I was young, like probably around 12 or 13 years old, I I was playing video games and my video card 
stopped working. So I had to replace it, but I didn't have money. And, and, and then what I did is that I went to work in a chicken farm and all I did all day, either picking the eggs in, in 40 degrees, you know, 13, 14 years old, uh, young. And, and, you know, I, I kind of imagine that's how the 1940s were, those conditions. So can people stay sane in those conditions? I mean, they don't have, they, they kind of don't have time to think because it's, it's smelly, it's warm. You have to keep moving and pick the eggs or pick, pick the chickens. You know, I broke, I don't know how much chicken legs I broke, like hundreds, right? I was just picking four or five chickens at the same time and putting it in a box. Sometimes I broke their legs. I had to throw it in the, you know, like this is kind of how, how the past people, people behaved, right? Like they didn't have time to think about higher concepts. They had to like, just go ahead and survive. Um, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. And my, the the thing that initially came to my or immediately came to my mind was that may be true, but today we've got uh, actively manipulative algorithms bombarding our consciousness pretty much all day, every day, to the or to the extent that we're interacting with digital realms, right? So it's it's almost like that environment may have been monotonous and uh, time-consuming, and that may have detracted from our ability to think about more complex or broader themes or, or topics. But the environments we act interact with today almost channel our consciousness down certain uh, certain streams or certain paths intentionally, and that can have a similar impact of causing us not to see some other area that perhaps we should be seeing, you know, and so. But Which okay, one is worse? I, I don't know. I, I can accept that argument. I mean, that makes perfect sense. The the algorithm, the technology of manipulating us is just so much better than it was back in the day. <laughs> it makes yeah. makes perfect sense. But you know what I what makes me hopeful about Bitcoin, and this has been my experience and like the experience of a lot of hardcore Bitcoiners. I I know it's not like it remains to be seen whether or not this happens for everyone like once we hit a bitcoin standard but it has well i mean when you have such a such a powerful mechanism for the discovery of truth and i would say an incorruptible money permits that right so first of all there's truth instantiated in, in in the money basically what bitcoin does is say this is true what's the value of a system that's able to say this is true in relation to this, right? These numbers are true in relation to these numbers. What's the value of a system that, that, uh, that does that in the most inviolable way yet de uh, developed? And right now, let's say it's about a trillion dollars. But the fact that it, it, it does that also allows it to discover broader truths through our exchange because it it's a more high fidelity representation of our um, of our values as they interact out in, in markets and the world. So if there's no manipulation in the money, I think we're more able to, a more truthful world emerges from, from 
a market based on that. But my, you know, the, the, the point about that is just that Bitcoiners, once they, you know, take the orange pill, let's say, they start to look at everything else. Once they realize the money has been fake and they realize how much the money impacts, well, then they revisit the medical system. Then they revisit politics and they revisit philosophy. Then they revisit art and, you know, pretty much everything because everything, money touches everything. And it, first of all, I think you, you have to revisit everything and decondition your former understanding, get rid of the crap, like, oh my God, my, I was so you know, uh, misguided and all those things. And then you've got to build it back up based on the best approximation of truth that you can uh, determine with this new sort of framework or lens. And, you know, my, I'm hopeful. And again, like maybe this is me being idealistic, thinking that this will happen to more people, but I'm hopeful that Bitcoin being, uh, Bitcoin propagating itself through the world via, you know, more and more people using it will will diminish the power of those algorithms and of the culture and of the media and polit political apparatus to manipulate people and it will ground them in a more clear perception of of truth you know and i know that's like a big uh expectation or 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 dream and again like i'm, I'm most likely being idealistic but it has been my experience and the experience of a lot of other Bitcoiners. And so maybe it happens, albeit to a lesser degree to, to people that just start using Bitcoin. But it seems to it seems to ground things in a greater truth than previously, let's say. You, you can even put a proxological spin on it that, you know, individuals act to achieve specific ends uh, and choosing or this choosing between well, ends and, and between means, right? And one of the, the most important sign of those potential means, those are on the market, are, are the prices. And if governments distort all the prices because of the, 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 the manipulation of the money supply, then basically a lot of individual actors in the economy have no idea how to, like, what the real value of anything because everything is distorted. So uh, exactly. we are living in, in lies. Well, they, they become less capable of determining the quality of the means that lead to the ends, right? Because if the, the, the signal of the means is being distorted by that intervention, then they don't know whether or not the means is actually the means they're looking for. And as a result, they're less capable of moving towards the ends. So yeah, so if, if the signal of the means is more pure and people can have more confidence that the, the means that they're engaging is actually the one that leads to the end that they desire, then presumably this establishes a, a, a relationship, a more truthful relationship with the market, with other individuals, with the natural world, and even with yourself through a feedback loop of all this information. And so, you know, maybe this plays out over a long period of time, and I'm hoping it, it does, because absent that, absent returning to a, a, a more truthful perception of ourselves and the world that we interact with, how does one contend with the growing manipulative force of all these, this soup of algorithms that we're swimming in on a daily basis every time we open our phones, open our computers, you know, and in the future, the you know the vr worlds that we we'd be interacting with i mean it's all it's all artificial right it's all it all has intention behind it the, the every every digital anything that you interact with 
Let me let, let, let me create a bit more debate here. Okay, so sure. my, my question is: Does Bitcoin worth it if we are boiling the oceans without it? With it, is Bitcoin worth it if we're boiling the oceans with it? Well, I guess. How quickly are we boiling them? Which parts of the which parts of the ocean? You know, you, we need some qualifiers in there. But um, yeah, I mean, and I don't I don't know if I accept the premise either. So it's hard to answer that question. What What do you think? Yeah, I was just listening to one of your interviews, and and I was very happy because you. So you know when people talk about Bitcoin energy consumption, they, they always talk about that, well, okay, but it's always the cheapest energy that's being picked up by Bitcoin miners, or at least is gravitating to that, and where the energy is the cheapest, it probably would otherwise go to waste. So, so I mean, that is, that makes sense. Right, but in the end, <clears throat> and you 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 step back and you said that it doesn't really matter because having a, <clears throat> a stable price signals or decentralized money or all the crazy consequence that we have with Bitcoin just worth it if if they are willing to mine it. So even if it would, if energy would be fungible right one energy plus another energy or then it would still worth it because people would pay the price for having this network there yeah yeah i mean i think my my take on the um the energy or the environmental debate is i think we determine the how worthwhile something is like let, we determine how worthwhile the output of an energy input is by its utility and its lifespan, right? So if it has a very low utility, if it's a plastic piece of crap that in the grocery store aisle that's used for two days and then thrown away, then I wouldn't say that's a very worthwhile output. Now the market still may determine that it is based on the price of energy and what, can, what they can sell that output for. But alternatively, if the output is the most useful thing, and that's what money is in a market, it's the most tradable good, that's kind of why it becomes money. Uh, and its lifespan is, the, it, it has the longest lifespan, right? So if, it, if you combine those two things, then I think almost definitionally to my mind, it becomes the most worthwhile uh, output to any energy input. And so that's why, like, and again, the market decides this. It's not an ideological thing, but that's why any any like any source of energy to produce that good is fine. Is like well, definitionally um, okay because it, you couldn't devote that energy to anything more worthwhile. Let's say. So, so that's interesting. Um, let's see because. We use the energy to create the bitcoins, but we're also using the energy to move the bitcoins. Um, creating the bit, okay. So creating the bitcoins—that's mining. That's the Coinbase in the transaction, Coinbase transaction, the block 
delivered and moving the bitcoin is the transaction fee the some of the inputs and the sum of the outputs and the difference that's the transaction fee so that's the cost of of moving the bitcoin so it is correct for the creation of the bitcoins but can you say the same for moving the bitcoins i mean isn't that a one-off thingy well i i guess in moving the bitcoins you're still i mean it's still contributing to its useful life and so i guess if my assumption is correct that any amount of energy is worthwhile for the most useful good with the longest lifespan. I guess if you're if the use of energy is contributing to the extension of that utility and lifespan, then it's still equally worthwhile. I guess that's that's how I look at it. Now, all of this is predicated on assuming that Bitcoin survives, right? Like if Bitcoin, you know, some massive vulnerability is discovered and it fails tomorrow, then you might be able to make the case that. Well, I mean, I guess you, you have to accept that that was a lot of wasted energy because it ended up not working. Now, the counter to that, to that would be like, well, what, what economic uh, value did it facilitate while it did exist? Because there's obviously a, there's obviously a value in that. But, but yeah, I mean, long story short, the, uh, I think the energy debate, I mean, it's the same, man. This is what, what I was saying about like mainstream coverage of, of Bukele before. It's like, when this is the thing when, whenever you know a lot about a subject and you see it covered in the mainstream you just laugh at how absurd it is right how basic and and how much bullshit there is in it but if you don't know very much about the topic then you kind of just accept it at face value or at least a lot of people do right and this is kind of why i was saying i don't anymore because i recognize that if i knew a lot about that topic i'd probably look at that article or that news story and be like that's full of fucking shit you know so you know, I, I don't pay much attention to the energy FUD in the mainstream media. You know, that goes without saying. You know, this is called the great Bitcoin filter. And 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 it's not only for the mainstream media, right? Like there were sure, yeah. famous people like Nassim Taleb who went, um, who, who turned out to have a lot of uh, not as smart takes about Bitcoin. Uh, but there was someone else, like Jordan Peterson, who you succeeded to, like uh, Orange Peel, right? Like, like he 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 kind of get it right away, and and you're like you're just happy because like you, you knew that this guy is smart, but you cannot be sure until he talks about it, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pretty much. It, it is kind of a filter in that way. I mean, of, of course, I, I respect a lot of Peterson's other work, but Bitcoin is like the elephant in the room for the world right now, right? Like if you're at, at all a, a, a thinking person, like someone that tries to understand the world and where the world may be headed, and if you don't have an opinion about Bitcoin, you're kind of like, in my opinion, a bit out of the conversation. And that's what's that's what's so great about all these Bitcoin conversations that we're having, because in normie world, even a lot of these people that we may respect, right, that are highly intelligent and they're calling out clown world and, you know, but for them not to be seeing just how um, consequential Bitcoin is in this whole, all these problems that they're always talking and talking and talking about kind of discounts, 
I'm not, I'm not that interested in hearing it, right? Because at the end of the day, they end up just talking about all the problems and not, you know, the big orange solution that's staring them in the face. But I mean, I share your sentiment with Peterson, man, because, and like, you know, I think he's been increasingly orange pilled as he's had conversations with Bitcoiners and read, you know, work from Bitcoiners and, and thought about it more deeply. But one thing I knew is that once his brain gets curious about it, he'll just, it'll devour him eventually. Like I, I anticipate like maybe sometime next year or the year after, whenever it happens, Peterson is going to be, you know, just as hardcore a Bitcoiner as any of us. Because if we're right about what this thing actually is, how, first of all, how it's, how it's instantiated in the world and what it means and the implications, I can't see a mind like his being able to let it go. I mean, his whole life has been trying to figure out these profound uh or thinking about these profound concepts like truth and freedom and sovereignty and responsibility and like bitcoin is basically jordan peterson in the in digital form or at least his message you know and and once he once it kind of clicks for him and i can see it clicking more and more often now as i listen to some of his interviews uh yeah i think it's going to consume him just like it's consumed us yeah have you done any of his courses or not I'm not even no. sure it's course the self-altering suit or the personality assessment. They are really yeah. good. Try try them out. Although you need to have like a couple of months of free time to do the self-altering really? <laughs> suit. Yeah. Did you do that? It's, it's, a, it's a writing exercise, yes. And about your past, present, and future. And yeah, I started doing it in 2019 and every year I revisit it. You know, I just take one year out of my, my, sorry, one week out of my year every year and, and plan my life. I mean, that, that just makes me so much better. It's, um, you know, I, I work at Wasabi. I, I, I created Wasabi from, from, I was the first person and then, two and then three and then five and then 10 and then 30. Like, you know, at one point as more and more people started to join me, I, and, and I had a kid and I was living the same kind of lifestyle that I was before traveling around the world and having fun, uh, but with, with my, my girl and my kid, but I realized that I need some, some something. I, I need to get my shit together because Things were going very well, but I, I knew that something will go go bad and I'm not gonna be happy about it. So I I got I, I sit down and I was doing uh, the the past altering for two months, uh, the present altering that's just a week, and the future altering is well, it was first for a month, but I can fit in a week now because it doesn't tell you what to do. It it tells you what might be important to figure out and how you might go about figuring it out. So this is the most loose approach, loosest approach to, to self-development. It lets you decide basically about the things. So it's good. And like without giving up any personal information that you don't want to give up, but like in what ways did it help orient your your planning or your behavior. So, okay. So one, one, one thing. I I was an obsessive athlete in high school, and then I was uh, working out here and there. 
but when I done the first future altering and decided, okay, I'm going to work out three times a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for one year. And I just started with very simple five minute exercises and built up and, and I did not miss a single day for one and a half a year. Uh, now I'm doing uh, two to three workouts, doesn't matter the day, but you know, so, so for example, this, the, my workout routine just perfect, it can be better, I'm doing the workout. And I was again, Peterson's logic there that convinced me that I should actually work out because, <laughs> you know, why do you work out if you're, uh, you are in a relationship, it, it's not as motivating. I mean, if you're single, then you work out, so you look nice to girls. But when you're in a relationship, I needed another motivation. And I, and what he said is that cognitive decline can be only slowed by regular workout. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Let's just work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, uh... My approach for that, I mean, I haven't consulted the, the program, but maybe I'll, I'll have a look now based on your recommendation. But my approach to working out has always been, or not always, I was into it a lot like you when I was in high school and stuff. And I was a fat kid and then I didn't want to be fat anymore. So I started working out and, and I, I like the results, you know, like for the reasons you mentioned for girls and for confidence and that kind of stuff. But um, in university years, I just like, started to hate the gym and it was so boring and all that stuff. And I realized that like willpower, you can deplete your willpower, right? And so you need to find another method that's not requiring so much. Cause like, if you deplete it there, then maybe you're not, you don't have it available for other higher order, more important things. And so like, I had to come around to literally believing or, and, wanting to do the thing that made me like perform or feel better and you know loosely like kind of loose explanation but like I came to the realization that the thing that I wanted to manage the most was my mind like I wanted to make sure that my mood was elevated that my self-talk was as minimally negative as I could make it my focus was as uh, I could establish the great you know the best focus possible and all of those things ended up being related to physical work right like working out so like getting a sweat breathing heavy being out in nature and what i realized is that like if i do all the things to make my mind and my emotions be where i want them to be the body is going to take care of itself it's going to like be where i it's going to be at an acceptable place. You know, you may not be like Mr. Olympia, but you'll be, you'll be strong and comfortable and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's what I've done for like 15 years. It, it, everything I do is pretty much like I do martial arts and I enjoy the learning process, you know, like you're learning new skills and techniques and stuff like that. And it's fun. But the primary thing, the reason why I don't like take a day off, for example, and always want to do something is because I need to get my head right Otherwise I feel like shit. And it's like, a, it's a daily, it's a daily uh, concern to make sure that my head is where I need it to be. And that might just be as simple as going for like an easy jog out in, in the sun, right? Get some sun on your body and, you know, sweat a little bit. So it doesn't have to be crazy every day, 
but just something to, to make sure that the head is in the right place. Cause you know, I'm sure I don't have to tell anybody this. If your head's not in the right place, you know, your day is worse. You're less productive. You're worrying about things more. Like it's just, everything starts from there. And so, and once you realize how, or once I realized how important that was, it didn't require motivation. I, like, it was like, I want that feeling of being calm, focused, ele like elevated mood. Like I, it's not something I have to fight with myself to try to establish. It's like something that I, it's the thing I'm most excited to go out and, and establish before I do anything else usually. So um, tell me about Wasabi uh, 2.0. I've been, first of all, long time user, first time caller, but um, you know, what's, what's going on in, in Wasabi land? Sure. Um, where do I start? Let's see, what do we want to do with Bitcoin? We want Bitcoin price to go up. How does the price go up? If you build better money, the price will go up and we are gonna have girlfriends, right? Uh, now, how <laughs> do you build better money? And then he has the his money and there is the functions of money theory, unit of accounts and medium of exchange. <clears throat> okay. So now we want to make this three thing as good as we can and as, as a Bitcoin wallet, <clears throat> that's what I want to do. Now, the problem with unit of account, I mean, it's already been used unit of account. I use it pretty often, but you know, it, it's, you, cannot, you cannot do much about it. You just build better money and it will be better unit of accounts. Store of value, that's, that's perfect in Bitcoin. It, it, you can store it in much safer ways than, than other currencies. And you can, uh, and, and, and all is needed for people to trust in it, which is basically every currency out there. Um, okay, so store of value, you can still do hardware wallets, right? To make a Bitcoin wallet better in store of value. And that's something we are doing, but not coin joining yet. But, but anyhow, we are not gonna do hardware wallets, but we will make sure that it is going to be native experience with hardware wallets, <clears throat> native privacy experience, right? Now, uh, that leaves us with the unit of, sorry, medium of exchange. Yeah. Okay, there are a couple of dimensions to medium of exchange, uh, uh, recognizability, Bitcoin cryptography, perfect uh, divisibility. Anyway, there are a couple of, uh, couple of dimensions, but the only two that we, can, we should really improve one is portability, how fast and how cheap you are able to send money. And the other is fungibility, meaning one Bitcoin should be equal to another Bitcoin and should not matter if these Bitcoins have huge histories, right? Like histories should be relevant, that's fungibility. Okay, so we have to fix fungibility and portability. Now with Wasabi, what I noticed uh, in the beginning is that people who were working on fungibilities um, join market, which is a great project. It's open source, but it didn't have a funding model, right? 
or very well-funded centralized exchanges, but they just didn't innovate. I don't know why. Anyway, so they could steal your money and de-anonymize you. Uh, <clears throat> now, Vasa became in the picture, which had a funding model, cannot steal your money, cannot de-anonymize you, and can create anonymous Bitcoins. Basically, that's what it does. Wasabi 1.0 creates anonymous Bitcoins. Um, now, we have to make sure in the 2.0 that this, is hap this happens cheaper. We have a 10 times at least an order of magnitude, but maybe multiple order of magnitude cheaper coin joins. Uh, this, there, there is a problem there that there is a 0-1 Bitcoin amount that you must have in order to coin join with the current Wasabi. There isn't such a thing anymore. Uh, so we succeeded to remove that. Uh, and then there are change outputs in the coin joins and there are no change outputs anymore. It's only 1.2. Okay, so my hands are all over the place. I should <laughs> figure out what I want to show. <laughs> but um, but <clears throat> we made it. We made the coin joins cheaper and actually faster because you don't have to do that much. So portability improvement. And also we removed all the frictions, not only in the coin joins that the coin joins basically many people come together and create outputs in a way that ends up having very good privacies, almost if not all the coins on the output side. So basically one transaction should be enough. We don't know because we didn't try it on mainnet, but even one coin join transaction should give you sufficient amount of privacy, which is, which is good. Now, but we went a step further because So in the beginning with Wasabi 1.2, uh, there was a conference breaking Bitcoin. There was an announcement of Wasabi 1.2 there, but we didn't really have time to build the UI because we didn't have UI for that. And we ended up hiring a UI framework developer, which, you know, uh, uh, not even just Bitcoin wallet, but a software, any software cannot dream about having UI framework developer, right? Uh, okay, so we ended up acquiring two more. So now we have three UI framework maintainers. And while we were into the coin join research, they, they told us that, uh, that they want to rebuild and really showcase the UI framework with, with Wasabi. Uh, so, so we gave green light to them. So they completely rebuilt the UI. Uh, like it looks like a modern application now, basically. And it, it's, it's a send and receive. There are advanced functions hidden in the settings and stuff, but it's a send and receive. You don't have to manually coin join. It coin joins in the background and and when you close the wallet, it's still doing the job in the background and, and everything is ready and you can just send, the, send your coins. You receive some coins and 
you do nothing and tomorrow you will be able to spend anonymous coins. So that's the user experience we are aiming at to be the exact same as a normal Bitcoin wallet, but with privacy in the background completely taken care of. And if we go further, this is Wasabi 2.0. Then there is the Lightning Network, right? That's a huge portability improvement. And there are, which we started, a, yeah, uh, we have a research grant for the Lightning Network to design a privacy-oriented uh, privacy Lightning Network uh, client. And we did not have any, it's a one Bitcoin research grant and we did not have any applicants yet. So please, 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 if there are any researchers watching this, come and apply. Uh, okay, so, and then there are other things that when we have 2.0, then we can improve our accessibility. What does it mean? We want coin joints with hardware wallets. We want mobile wallets if mobile wallets don't do uh, coin joints properly. Uh, we want RPC and other developer tools, and we want uh, localization, right? A lot of people are not speaking English. So we just improve our, after Wasabi 2.0, we are going to improve our accessibility, our compatibility with platforms, and keep doing Lightning Network research because, you know, it's, it's customary for a Bitcoin wallet to to be able to do Lightning Network, right? Like I was in El Salvador and, oh my God, is it like 10 years still I will be able to use Wasabi in El Salvador because they are using Lightning Network there everywhere. You know, it's not a good, good, good thing. And I think a lot of users feel that way, but unfortunately Lightning is a bit, bit far away. What, what, say that again, what's not a good thing? Um, they cannot use Wasabi in El Salvador, right? Because they are using the Lightning Network. Like, oh, yeah. Not everywhere, of course. Chivo Wallet, it's easier to use the the main chain and even you're sending the money, it doesn't appear. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> if you go to the McDonald's, then you use Lightning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I spoke to a bunch of people that were having issues with, with Chivo and so the locals that I interacted with the most, um, one only one was like adamant about using Chivo because they just had no idea about anything else, but the others were using Bitcoin Beach and Moon. And that was obviously a much better experience uh, for them. Um, that's so, well, I mean, two questions. Basically, so will, is Wasabi basically monetizes and is gonna you know be able to integrate into other wallets and stuff. and you just end up being the coordinator and you, you take coordinator fees, you know, whether or not it's in Wasabi wallet or another wallet. Is that the idea? That is a possible future. Now I have <clears throat> privacy concerns and concerns that it's not going to happen. So, you know, there are a lot of privacy angles. Privacy is like this is gas. No, the water inside, that's privacy. And what happens if I put a hole in here? Uh, oh, your privacy is not completely broke, broken, but you know, that small hole leaks out all your privacy eventually, right? So if we integrate it to, to 
to places where there are these holes that affects our Wasabi users too. Now, if, if we always stay the largest coin joiners or users, then it's probably not a problem. Um, anyway, so if when we do integrations, we're going to be very, very careful about that. Uh, but we do want to have integrations and we do talk with multiple companies that they, they want to have Wasabi integrations. And just, uh, you know, it's, it's technical challenge and I, I don't want to do stupid things. Um, yeah, so, but, but people are, are, are enthusiastic about that, that scenario too. And you're anticipating 2.0 mid next year, sometime like that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's ready already. So um, everything is ready except the coin joiner. And just, you know, just when you thought everything was in, 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 in perfect, in, in line, then today I open GitHub and see a closed pull request, which is actually the most important part of the coin joiner. Why was it closed? And the author of the pull request uh, got a bit, I don't know, angry because the reviews didn't address the concept. So, so you know, it's like, it's um, how should I, how should I tell? Okay, so we have a person in the company who's a genius called Nothing Much, but unfortunately, it's very hard to communicate with him because his brain is just. Ten times faster than than our brain, and and uh, and and it's really and and he really comes up with convoluted solutions, and 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 you can when when you sit down and you you spend like I spent a whole entire day of, of deciphering a seven minute recording of him, right? But but then I realized, oh shit, this is genius. <laughs> it just <laughs> it just you know I want. To really take take those genius insights from from him and and you know there are always more and more and at one point I might we might have to say that okay now we really have to release uh, but for now we're just we're just okay we do we do things everything properly and and don't close circuit the the research process because there might be some unexpected pleasant surprises right and and you know if wasabi fails i mean um let's be honest it's nothing is gonna come to its place for a very long time because everyone is afraid and working on privacy uh, i don't know i i i think we might as well do it right this time and 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 I suspect there really won't be anything, any technology that comes close to it because we we reviewed the whole uh, privacy literature of Bitcoin and at least there were no ideas that can come close to it. So unless there is a new breakthrough, like let's say confidential transactions being put into Bitcoin uh, or something like that, then then I think this is going to stay for at least 10 years. You know, wow. What what do you 
when when you because um, i'm sure you have a lot of these conversations about you know why should i give a fuck about privacy right of this kind what is usually your response to to that question again you know basically the value prop for for coin joining but you know what what is the main the main thing that you're protecting yourself against by coin joining how much money do you have so this is the question that i i I just i just ask you know like oh that's why privacy is important (laughs) okay now the funny thing is i don't think you know what privacy is i mean you might but but i don't think normal people know because privacy isn't about like hiding stuff it's about Privacy is your ability to selectively reveal yourself to the world now. Right. There is another side to privacy, not only hide, but also to reveal. Or if you want to, like, you can go really philosophical with it. I, I went very philosophical with it. And, you know, okay, so let's examine the, the definition of privacy, your ability to selectively reveal yourself, yourself to the world. What is yourself? What are you, right? Like you are either hiding it or, or revealing it. And, and it's, it's a surprisingly hard question is what is you? I mean, maybe you start somewhere here in your cortex and this is everything where you're making the decisions, but is it really okay you go, go back uh, starting with your 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 limbic system emotions and then your lizard brain and then your spine and is your spine really your brain or is it your body I mean, does it really matter i mean uh, and and how about your 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 body your hand is it is it your 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 brain basically still the extension of your brain and that's what uh, <clears throat> what conclusion i come to that our body is a kind of like extension of our brain and we don't really know where we end and stuff. And when we hold this, this, this glass, then we, we kind of take the, the, the shape of the, the glass and we, we hold it and we become the, the glass and we kind of like the cyborgs. And, and okay, so now the things, not only what you're interacting with is you, but also your property that's that's another extension of you so 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 then you can define privacy like a wall in your in your yard is like like in your house right like that's a privacy technology but is that you're right that if you don't have a wall then everyone can see your house right like that's that's not a right that's an ability privacy is a fight not a right and 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 if you go the other way the information what you know um, and comes to your financial transaction then then again your financial transactions are kind of you right uh, it's it's something that you want to fight for other people to not not see or you want to reveal them, right? You want to prove that you really did this thing. Um, and, and so privacy is, is a human ability uh, to selectively reveal 
It's like that. Anyway, thing here is that. Hold, hold, hold yeah. on. I, I, lost, I lost you for a second. You, you're, the connection crapped out. So you were saying privacy is the ability to selectively reveal, like go back 20 seconds. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what seconds is, but I just uh, put a side note that if you want to go Jordan Patterson with it, then you can extend your property to like, yeah, like your, your, the culture is kind of you in some way or your country. And then you talk about privacy of your country. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter because the only point that I wanted to make is that revealing that information me coming on this camera uh on this on this live tv right and me being a privacy advocate is not uh not uh it it makes perfect sense i decide that i want to show my face to the world right that my ability to show myself to the world that i still have my privacy it's 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 my decision yeah. So let's, uh, what if I frame it this, and I understand what you're saying. What if I frame it this way? Whatever type of information you're communicating through your transactions, and as you were saying, you're communicating a hell of a lot through your transactions, your preferences and your interests and who you want to be and who you don't want to be. Like there's a, there's a lot wrapped up in what you're buying and who you're transacting with. Um, but if you, who, I mean, who is the one you want to keep that information from the most? I mean, in this current environment, would, would that be people who would be a threat to you because they want to access your, your money, whether that be state um, surveillors or censors or, you know, hackers, thieves, that kind of thing? That's, is that the primary... Uh, thing that you want to defend yourself against in this sort of scenario? Well, I'm not sure if that's the primary thing, but I can go to the direction that what do you want to protect against it is probably the, the most dangerous animal to you, which is other humans. Um, you know, privacy isn't really about protecting yourself. It's about uh, hiding or revealing yourself, right? Like I have clothes, it's not here to protect me from a punch, but it's here so you cannot see my chest uh, unless we are in Bitcoin uncensored uh, <laughs> interview because uh, then I have my privacy in another way. Okay, so <laughs> um, I don't know, did that address any of you? Yeah, I, I, well, th what comes to mind is like, if, if you have the, the power to selectively reveal yourself, probably one of the main benefits is that your information, by virtue of not being revealed to anyone, just simply means that it's not available to entice any sort of behavior or activity, right? Like, so when people in the world, you know, thieves, actors of various kinds, I mean, they're interacting with the information that they have available. I'm a thief. Ooh, that person has a million bucks. I want to go like, basically your world is constructed through the information that's revealed to you. So if someone is able to not reveal information, it means that they're outside of the world of 
anybody else. And that just means, you know, you, you I mean, to my mind, it instills a sense of peace because I'm not, I'm not in the crosshairs of anyone, regardless of what they want to do. I just don't exist to them. And that's the way I want to be for certain things. Like I want certain details about my life to not exist to the world so that good or bad, nobody is acting upon that information, I guess, is, is one of the primary benefits. Uh -huh. And if you go to complete privacy, uh, the problem is that you're not interacting with other people because that's what complete privacy means. You live in a forest and you right. don't want to see anyone. But that makes your chances of survival really hard. So you probably want to team up with other people to, to do stuff in the forest and then they have to look at you and you have to look at them. And, and uh, I mean, but, can the future be a world where, I, I think online privacy is going to happen. Let's assume that world where online privacy happened and you're living in an apartment uh, ordering pizza and, and they just give you the pizza under the door and you don't even see anyone. So you're always online, you never expose your face. I mean, I guess it's doable and you can make money that way. It, it, it's probably still there is some problem with that. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, the, the, thing, that the thing that excites me about uh, what you were describing with 2.0 is that either through using Wasabi Wallet itself or through any future integrations is that the biggest, uh, what I would think is the, the, the action most prone to re-divulging your, so like CoinJoin, you break the link, right? You buy it on a KYC exchange, you break the link and it's kind of, you know, it's muddled for anyone who might be trying to, you know, link a transaction back to a particular person. But then, you know, things that you do afterwards could could re-reveal yourself, right? Could could sacrifice the anonymity that you established. Even, you know, so unless you're really uh, careful about that, then you might undo the benefit that you've established through the initial one, which is why I think it's so important that more and more wallets integrate this, as you were just saying, as an automatic, like, you know, you receive money and on the way in, it's, it's coin join and you don't really... You know, you don't have to worry about it. You just know that that anonymity is, if not reestablished, it's it's retained or or upheld, despite being in another potentially revealing transaction. And I think that's that would be a huge bonus because I mean, there's you might just coin join and put everything in cold storage forever, right? Never use it. But if you intend on, as you were saying, this being fungible and having privacy enhance the medium of exchange component of all this then the more those privacy establishing steps are integrated along every one of those exchanges, then the more likely that the privacy will be upheld throughout various exchanges, because you're always revealing some information in exchange. You just want to make sure you're not revealing the information you don't want to reveal. Um, you know, it's interesting to think about what if current Bitcoin would go let's assume infinite blockchain size, right? <laughs> and then current Bitcoin, on-chain Bitcoin goes mainstream. Uh, in that case, the clusters of wallet addresses 
the volets would be easily like like correlated with with addresses. So we we kind of would have a lot of pseudonymous personalities here and here, and they are transacting with each other, and we we, we would be able to see. And you know, if there is no privacy mechanism, a coin join, coin swap, pay join, if there is nothing like the normal Bitcoin goes mainstream, then everyone would know everything about everyone. And even today, um, you know, the, the Google of blockchain analysis is, didn't happen because like, Everyone was afraid that building the exact same product that blockchain analysis does uh, would be probably legal, right? Like if you just Google my name and you see all my transactions and who do I send them to, uh, that could be that could be probably legal, right? So so anyway, but but this is this is there is a knowledge blindness there. It, it's it's the normal usage of Bitcoin. This information is can be taken out of it and, and someone we are creating open source software for that. Um, we'll see. I want to ask you this question and I'm not trying to stir up drama whatsoever. I just don't pay attention to most of the drama. I'm concerned with other things. But every now and then I see this spat between the Wasabi people and the, uh, is it Samurai? Is that the name? Yes. What, what, what's the, without getting into the personal details or whatever, like, what's the fundamental difference in, in approaches here? Mm. Or you don't have to, if you don't want to talk about it, of course, you don't have to talk about it. I think the fundamental difference is actually in the name of our company. It's called ZK Snacks. ZK stands for zero knowledge. It's a word play on ZK, Stark, Stark, some kind of stuff. Uh, but it means that the products that we create must be zero knowledge, must not know anything more about you. We should not know anything more about you than the public does. Uh, okay, so, and their products are not like that, right? I talked about that integrations to Wasabi, Wasabi integrations could be a privacy leak. Uh, do you remember like, uh, anyway, we talked yeah, about yeah, it yeah, and yeah. I was worried about that it could be a privacy leak. Now the basic difference is that they are not worried about this kind of stuff, right? So <clears throat> they start out with, uh, by default, having your extended public key, which is all your, transaction history, right? Or your Bitcoin addresses you ever created and you will ever create in the future. And then they are coin joining with that. And of course, there is no privacy against them, except if you use a full node called Dojo. But even then, by default, people are de-anonymized by their servers. So if you're mixing with a de-anonymized crowd, then you are de-anonymized by exclusion. So, so you know, I mean, <clears throat> the, their system is flawed and this is the starting objection. 
I have a bunch of other speculations, which I did not even share with anyone. That's how it can be broken. But, but those are all speculations, right? Like, like nonsense. But, but they start out with a flawed system where they have everyone's expert keys. And, you know, fine. You have such a system. You are honest with your users. <clears throat> no, they are not. They are trying to... They are bragging about having the best privacy in Bitcoin, which is obviously not the case because of the starting architecture of flaw. And uh, that's why Joy Market and, and Sunrise is, is uh, like, like we don't, sorry, Joy Market and Wasabi doesn't really consider Samurai uh, honest actor because this is what's going on. Right. Well, I don't want to cause uh, any more shit. I was just wondering uh, what the the contention was between the two sides, because every, like I said, every now and then I hear hear something pop up. Um, last question for you, man, and then I'll let you go. But the is the new is Wasabi 2.0 because we were just discussing like it kind of it's highly consequential what you do with coins after you mix them, right? And I feel like occasionally, you know, that's where some people might make some mistakes. Is in the uh, UX of of 2.0 is that going to be ameliorated or like even prohibit people from fucking up fucking it up too much like i feel like you touched on that already before but is that going to be something that's more built in yeah it's uh, you know we are not creating changes even if we do the next transaction we'll make sure there is no change um yeah, so, so there is no one mixed coins. It's not right, about right. <clears throat> people fuck up. <clears throat> sorry, sorry. There's there's no change because there's no um, there's no set uh, amount that needs to be coin joined, right? So I could coin join 0 0.03 Bitcoin, and there won't be change because that's the whole amount that's being coin joined, and the coordinator takes care of all that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't even think people fuck up um, because I think people spend, so in current Wasabi, if you have 1.1 Bitcoin, you put it in and one Bitcoin comes out as mixed and 0.1 comes out as, as, as a change, as, as something that has not been mixed. Mm. Um, I used one Bitcoin for the sake of simplicity. Uh, and there is an unmixed coin, right? That coin was never mixed. It participated in a mix, but it came out as a change. Therefore, it was not mixed. The, leaks, the link was there and that coin is red. Now, if you touch that coin, then you cannot expect privacy because that was never mixed, yeah. right? So the problem with current Wasabi is that there is a lot of coins like that. So it just becomes very uncomfortable for people to like not touch those coins. And, 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 and that's the problem. So I think people know when they, they do something that jeopardizes their privacy. <clears throat> Uh, because it's like red when you try to spend them. There is a warning message, like like you can't 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 do anything anything more. 
except not even creating those unmixed changes. And that's what Wasabi 2.0 will do. It won't even create those. Uh, so, so that's how we, we handle that. Right. This, this is the real last question. Just came to my mind. But what do you think of, like, there's been a few instances where, um, like, certain, I, I think it was exchanges or someone identified mixed coins and basically refused to accept them or something like that. Is this something, is this a problem that is going to persist in, in your mind as we move forward? Or are there technical solutions to route around this? Yeah, no, there is no technical solution, and it's a problem. Um, I mean, okay, so what's, what's, what's going on, first of all? Uh, there are exchanges, those don't want to accept coin joint coins. Uh, no, that's not true. They are asking questions. If you send coin joint coins, those are large amounts. Uh, so for small amounts, they don't ask questions. Uh, for large amounts, and I don't know what small and large means, but, but, but this is what we notice, is that they are sometimes asking questions, and that's a problem. Now, how much of a problem is this currently? I'm not sure. I've been using exchanges here and there and had not encountered problem, but... I've also seen a study about uh, wasabi's uh, and and samurais. Uh, how much how much money is going to exchanges? And even though the volume in Bitcoin amount, the coin joins of the coin joins did not grow in the last year, the number of coins that has been sent to exchanges after mix is growing. So there is thousands of bitcoins going to exchanges every month. Right, and now there are certainly cases when they are asking for it. Uh, I don't think it's a big problem yet, but it will be, or it could be, because if the assumption is that you have to, you, you if you're an exchange and you can only accept money that has not been that's that's like that can be basically traced yeah then that won't that won't be limited to to coin joins i mean it could be lightning network too or probably not because those are small amounts but larger lightning network transactions maybe or maybe they figure out how to to actually survey the whole lightning network i don't know that the point is that there are technological solutions those are being brought up as addressing this issue coin swaps pay joins because coin joins what happens in coin joins many people come together and 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 they put the the inputs into the same transaction, so it comes out as outputs, and these these coins basically basically signaling that this is an anonymization happened. But with PayJoin, there is it's not noticeable, or coin swap is not noticeable ideally uh, on the blockchain. So what happens with PayJoin is that this guy wants to send this guy money uh 
I send money to you, but you also put inputs into the into the the transaction, and then things come out. Now this is unnoticeable, but what blockchain analysis heuristics suggest is that hey, these are common ownership, right? It's unnoticeable, so they're gonna misinterpret it as common ownership transaction. So basically, if the person who sent money to you or, or this person who you're sending money to also put inputs into the transaction, uh, like the dirty coins, uh, whatever that means, then then basically it's not gonna happen what coin joins. Coin joins, hey, what they know is that something happened there, but at in pay joins, what they, they think is that, hey, these are dirty coins, like you're a criminal, right? Like, because you merged together your history with another person's history before. Coin swaps is the same dynamics as, 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 as pay joins, but instead of merging together your history with another person, uh, it swaps your history with another person. Now, if you swap with the wrong person, then, then that's a problem, right? Now, Coin joins are like, okay, these are suspicious coin swaps and pay joins are like a gamble. Like it depends on who do you swap or merge your, your coins together with. So that doesn't help about Lightning Network. Uh, if the assumption is that exchanges are expected to make sure the funds that they are receiving are clean, then they are not going to create a lightning network exception for their know your customer rules, right? So I don't think that's going to help. Maybe it will in a sense that these are much smaller amounts and maybe people don't even uh, end up, end up like, like they just won't care because these are small amounts, but well, we care about the big amounts, right? Like yeah. where the most of the value is, where the most of the transfer, happens and uh, that there is no um it's it's a social social issue right yeah it makes me think of two things one there's an element of incentivizing a forced huddle strategy and two i mean <clears throat> if you're sending anonymized coins to an exchange that will only accept uh you know coins where they can trace them basically, then, I mean, you're kind of, I mean, if you're sending them to a centralized, you know, KYC exchange like that, you're, you're de-anonymizing yourself and your, or your coins anyways, or, you know, because you're putting them back on an exchange that's linked to your name and then they're relinked to you in, in that way. So maybe it's kind of a moot point anyways. I, I can't see many people doing that. Although, I mean, you just said there's a lot more going to, there's a lot more anonymized coins going to exchanges now, right? You know, yeah, yes. But you know, there is one, <laughs> one technical solution and I don't even want to mention this because I don't want to give the regulators ideas. <laughs> but uh, what is possible is that you know, the coin join coordinators basically only power is to not accept coins from registration. So if they make us 
apply a blockchain analysis company to to not accept suspicious coins uh, into the coin joins, then probably those coin joins could be cleaned. But you know, if this happens, that will be the day when I leave Wasabi because then things just fucked up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you are you hopeful that the privacy wars will be won by the yeah, individual? I mean, Worst case, we move to El Salvador and do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might be the, that might happen anyways. Are you are you I are you keeping an eye on El Salvador for a potential move? I am. I am. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I think I think a lot of us are now. I mean, how I mean, I know like we're all in one place, terrible OPSEC security, blah, blah, blah. But the other side of that is how awesome would it be for us all to be within a you know, a couple hours drive of one another, we can get together and hang out and work on stuff. And I mean, that would be super cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, just walking on the Bitcoin beach in Arizona, you see guys with Bitcoin tattoos on it and all kinds of craziness, Aaron Van Beerdom in the background. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it was a really cool experience. I want more of it. Anyways, man, I uh, I really appreciate the time. Was there anything you wanted to to show or shout out before we shut it down? No, I'm I'm, I'm great. I'm, I I really I did not think it will go to like such interesting directions. So I I am uh, probably the best conversation I I I've had since. Man, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate it, man. We'll, we'll talk again in the future, maybe even in El Salvador sometime. All right. Thank you. Uh, uh, all right, brother. Take care. Bye-bye.